This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Pray with understanding. Um, but I just want to share with you, um, you know, I was last week I was on the farm, <clears throat> my in-law's farm, and it's there close to Karabip, Isakos, you know. Now, for those of you who know, uh, Namibia, that's in any case a kind of a dry place. If it rains well or not, that's kind of where the desert, the Komas Hochland, I'm very interested in these things, these things, but that's where the Komas Hochland mountain range kind of stops and you start going into the desert. And my in-laws' farm is right on that edge. The, the mountains, we can see the mountains and then their farm is like, at the bottom of the mountains, basically. And from there onwards, west, is where the desert starts. And as, as you drive in a good rain season, it can be the same now, I'm getting to it, you basically, if you drive from a farm, it can be green, and when you end up here, it's, it's, there's nothing, like we all know, growing. It's like Yaku says, he's, he's, it is, he doesn't know if his children understand seasons. Eh? In Walfish Bay, Swakop Moon, my poor kids, they think every time they see a tree, or if you drive and they see trees, they think it's a farm. They said, look, Dara, it's a farm. Because they only know that farms have trees. Not Where they stay, there are no trees. Anyway, what's my point? Um, so on the farm, and it's and I'm not going to be negative today, but the reality is um, the farms should look like this normally, look like they look now towards October, November. Are you with me, Namibians? That's after it's rained, May, uh, I mean, April is the last of the rains, then the country is green, then we go through winter and it dries out, and the worst part normally of how the country looks is here just before it rains again, November and late November, December, then it's like bone dry. Now, it looks like that now. It should be green now. Okay. So, I was there on the farm thinking. So, now, we don't have so many cattle there. I'm not, I'm starting to sound like a farmer, eh? Johnny, clinks is your pa. <laughs> um, I'm not really a farmer, but, but you start worrying. You start worrying about things. I mean, luckily, we don't have lots of cattle. They don't have lots of cattle. It's not really there to farm. It's, it's more like a relaxation thing, but... But you, you panic. You panic, man. I drive back and I think of my little, my, my biesta. Um, and then at the same time, in Namibia, we don't only have a natural drought, né? we also have an economic drought. Um, and I don't know, I'm not going to make a judgment call or make a prophecy here this morning, but I do think I've picked up some things there on the farm and as I prayed, and, and I want to share that with you today. Um, and who, what scripture comes to mind when we, we pray, start praying for rain? Can I get any scriptures quoted here? You know that general scripture we always quote um, when we talk about rain and God send us rain? It's two chronicles. If my people... Humble and pray, né? that one. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. That's the scripture we, we very often pray. And I'm going to get to that, but what I've done is, and I got a bit too technical. That sometimes happens with me as an engineer. You start and you start research, and then the research just doesn't end. But I thought that let's go through, because I, I, I'm going to get to that scripture, but I just want us to see the overall picture. And I must admit, I don't see it completely yet because when I started looking into the overall picture, it, it gets complicated. It gets interesting, but there's a lot to it. So I'm going to take you through today um, a bit of a, from the start to the end, and put this scripture in context, I hope. And hopefully it will bring us to a place where we can say that I see God's bigger picture and therefore I can pray with more understanding. That's what I'm trying to say in broader terms. Because the one question that was on our email about today's sermon is, would you and I pray differently if Jesus was here? 
with us. Now, I don't know how to answer that. I think I would pray more effectively, but I think one thing that we would get from Jesus is we would get his understanding of things, and then we will pray differently. Now, we don't need Jesus here. We've got the word here. Um, it would be great if he was here. But my point is, I think if we understand God's will and understand the Bible, it's as if Jesus was here, we can hear from him. So with more understanding, we pray better. That's what I believe. We pray differently. So I'm going to try that. Okay, are you with me? So it's a bit of a history course. So the next slide there with the tables up there. I need to explain. If I had a pointer, I would point. Let me just see if it's there. Isaiah. No, not that one. Isaiah. Okay, so on the left side there, I split the Bible into two. Okay, I couldn't get all in one slide. So the left side is the first half. I don't, I don't know if it's a half, but I just split my table into two. So let's just run through that a little bit. Okay, we start with creation. We start with Adam and Eve, then Noah and the flood, then Abram. Um, God makes the Abrahamic covenant with, um, with Abram. I need to stop myself there. You know what? Um, the Bible talks about wisdom, and it talks about the gray the grey, die grys manne, die manne met die grys hare, ek maak so, ek het, maar ek het so bykie, so, maar, the Bible says that there's, there's, it's good to listen to wisdom, and it refers to older people, honor them, and what I've seen now, now I'm not so old, but, um, as one has a longer life span, it's not that, and if you had, if you were kind of humble, you can, because you've seen life, a bit more, you've gone through cycles, etc., etc., and you've still served God even when it's, when it's been bad and good. You actually have some wisdom to share. So, I think that the, the blessing of looking at the Bible like this is we get have a bit of bigger picture of God's span, how God sees things. Because we look at the, what am I going through now? But I hope what I can get also today is if you see this picture, and we have the whole Bible to tell us about it, we see the bigger picture of what God wanted, what God intended for us. Okay? Are you still with me? Okay, so let's just try and get our brains to look at the bigger picture. So my question, just some summer here in the middle, is did God's plan for his people change or did we change? And he had to change plans because of us. Or did he have the same plan from the start? I think he had the same plan from the start. But because of our actions, God had to change things. Okay, Abram. Then, it's not, it's, these are not all the steps. Then the Israelites went into Egypt. They were slaves. Then Moses helps them get out of Egypt. The Exodus. Then Joshua. Um, they, they cross the Jordan. They're going to the promised land. Then there's a period of, of the book of Judges. And then, and I'm going to touch just on a few things here today. Then it's an era that, I don't know, it's called the kings of Israel, where the people demanded a king. So God gave them Saul. Not such a good plan. Not, not God's plan. Then God gives them David. Then God gives them Solomon. Now you can go to the, to the right thing. But then the nation gets divided, and then we go into a, a long period on the right I put there. But I also ex- learned, are you, are you with me still? I share a lot of detail now, but I had more time to process it. If you look, also look at the Bible, the Old Testament, not everything is in chronological order. So if you go from Exodus, etc., the history is not that it all happened like that. Some of the books, like Isaiah, the prophets, etc., they actually, although they might be behind kings or chronicles, they actually happened in the middle of kings and chronicles. So kings and chronicles, one kings, two kings, one chronicles, two chronicles, they actually span a wide time sphere. But in the middle of them, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, then Jerusalem is destroyed and the, and the people of God go into exile. I remember God sees all these things. He saw all of this. So some of the scriptures that I'm going to read to you today, I actually think that we need to think about God's grand plan. When he sees what the people do and he sees what he wanted them to accomplish, he's like, hi. 
You know? So when he says something like, if my people humble themselves and pray, he doesn't only see it right in that context. He sees it in a bigger context. But that's like parents, you know? We saw a great example here this morning. No, no issues. But I'm, not, I'm not offended by children. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you tell your child, like I do, please pick this up. Please pick this up. Please pick this up. Please pick that up. And, you know, God sometimes has to do the same with us, repetition. But we know, I have to continue doing that. No, you can't do that. They don't understand why when they're four years old. But you and I understand why. I'm trying to instill values in you so that when you're a big person, your life's not a mess. Okay? So, but as parents, we have sympathy. Pick up, pick up, pick up. But you're at about 16, I think. I'm not there yet. But then I'm going to start losing my, my temper. But are you seeing? And so God repeats himself in scripture like this. And he's like, listen. Okay, this is all just introduction. Are you still with me? Okay, so I'm giving you an outline. People going to exile. God never wanted Israelites. His plan starts here with Adam. Scripture calls Jesus the second Adam. God's plan for Adam and Eve was not to do what they did. But Jesus is the final Adam. But God didn't plan for the Israelites to go into exile. That's not part of the plan. But they go through it. So he needs to be there with them. So he has a plan. But throughout, the, everywhere when they mess up, he gives them these promises again. It's actually part of a bigger promise. Now, I don't need, I should not spill my whole sermon in the beginning. But I can just tell you, there's no more plans. Jesus was the final plan. And you and I are part of that plan. There's no other plan. And luckily the Bible says we, we conquered, we won. Okay, So it doesn't matter how you feel this morning. Oh, I'm not in God's will. I can't experience this or whatever. I'm telling you the answer. You are the answer. Okay. Exile. Then the, I would say the second half of the Bible. A lot of uh, shorter books. Haggai, Zechariah. Then Persia rules. Um, God's people. Greece rules. God's people. There was an independent state. Jewish state. Then we get to the New Testament. And then Rome rules. Um, the New Testament, and there's still a fight about Israel. Okay, but now I'm finished. The next picture, there's just another picture. That's the one. Um, I don't, don't look too much so you'll get confused, but that's the chronological um, timeline of the Bible. And you can see there at the top one and two chronicles, that kind of a blue. That spans quite a lot, large part. Um, but in the middle, you get Amos, Isaiah, Micah, Lamentations, Jeremiah. So these prop the Bible is not in complete chronological order. The books are not. But the Bible makes perfect sense. Okay, skip that one. So, the first scripture I want you to read, us to read, is, and we find ourselves here, where the Israelites were slaves. Abram, God promises Abram, you're going to be a father of many nations. And they find themselves after a couple of hundred years, I think, they find themselves being slaves and God makes a plan for them to exit. That's now where we are, Exodus. And this scripture comes up. This is after they've ex exited. And this is a picture of what God wants for his people and for you. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So can you see this scripture in context? This is after God. I don't know if God gets frustrated. I don't know if I can say that. But God's like, okay, you were slaves. You're now out. Can I talk to you? My intention was not for you to be slaves. Now, do you know actually they wandered for 40 years after that in the desert. That's also not God's plan. God tells him what his plan is. And you shall, become, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says that we are exactly the same. But you, we, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Some other words in that scripture. Priest. Kingdom of priests. Priest means they understood the holy things of God. They understood the presence of God. 
So in Exodus, God says, I want you to, you're not, I want you, I've chosen you to be a holy nation of priests. You, people must see from outside, must see the presence of God. If they have a question of how is this God like, they must look at you and see it. How do people experience us? Holy means sacred. It's a sanctuary. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, uh, staatsgeheim that our society is morally decaying at a rate. What and who is supposed to keep the holiness and the sacredness of life? Moral values. Um, who is supposed to do that? We are supposed to do that. That's what God is asking his people there to do. Royal. God wants us to be his kingly people. Royal. We're chosen. Peculiar. That's scripture 1 Peter 2 verse 9. It means we've been preserved or we've been purchased. So God is explaining to them here. And, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that God, I think, is asking Namibia the same kind of question. Are you, do you understand that you're chosen? Are you going to, but, and you know, God asks his people in a nation. He asks the believers in a nation. There's always going to be some people in a nation that's not going to follow God. But I believe God is asking us, do you understand that I've chosen you to be sacred and holy? Are you acting like you're sacred and holy? Or are you starting, like some of the things, it's now a bit political, looking at changing the laws to allow abortion, looking at uh, legalizing prostitution, all that stuff. God is looking and he's saying, what are you doing? I've chosen you to be peculiar, holy, sacred priest. Keep the, th- the, the sacred things sacred. And, and God wants us as a church, if you look at the bigger picture, is that he wants us to pray like that. He wants us to intercede like that and see. And, and it's not about me and my family's prayers that we need. It's about praying for this nation. Let me go on. Second part. Now we're a few, I don't know how many years, down the line, Joshua. Now we're looking at Joshua. So that, this is almost the same day. Exodus, Joshua takes over, they want to go into the promised land, they actually do go into the promised land, and they, I think my next scripture is where they, yes, <clears throat> they, um, they walk around Jericho, and it was almost like the first um, <clears throat> victory, just after they've crossed the Jordan. Joshua led, and, and so you know the story about Jericho, they walked around it for six days once, and the last day seven times on the walls of Jericho, four. God wants us to conquer when he, wants, when he calls us out of Egypt, he says, I want you to rule and reign. Now, I'm just going to quickly mention this because later on we're coming back to the scripture to, to make another point. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of the firstborn shall be laid its foundation and at the cost of its youngest son shall he set up its gates. So here, God, this is a holy moment where God delivers them where God hands destroys their enemies and his, God says to them, this is a holy moment, remember this. So you must remember, and I'm going to get to another scripture later in the Bible where this becomes relevant and he says, this you must remember. I came through for you. Don't rebuild this city's walls again. If you do it, it will be at the cost of the firstborn that shall lay its foundation. Now, okay, maybe you can get the point, but later on some king in the Bible, Bible, I think Ahab, rebuilds, it was not Ahab, it was one of Ahab's, I don't know, leaders, rebuilds these walls. And it's a total disrespect and disregard for the things that God has done in our lives. That's my point that I think I'm trying to make. Is do we remember in our lives, God says, remember this when I came through for you. Don't despise this, don't disrespect this. You know, I... That's when we have communion. The Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to refresh your memory to what God has done. I think we are sometimes, and I, I put myself under that label, 
We, we forget what God has done for me 20 years ago when I got saved. What did he save me out of? Out of a horrible, pathetic life. And now I'm, I've walked with Christ for 20 years and now I want to complain about, I don't know what I complain about nowadays. I want to, no. <laughs> you know, and I think it's disrespectful. Are you with me? I'm trying to say that there are certain, are we still thankful? Uh, do we keep those those um, things that God has done in your life where He's broken through for you? Do you keep it sacred? <clears throat> do you call it into remembrance? That sounds a bit weird. But just where you say, God, thank you, you've done that for me. Many of us, <laughs> I was one of them. Now, Dan is almost not one of them anymore. But I was, Lord, I want to get married. Oh, and uh, who is my wife? Now I've got my wife. 11 years. And now I'm like, no, oh, thanks. Cool. You know? But, and then I complain about other stuff. I just complain about new things. But I remember how I asked God and He blessed me with it. I need to remember that. I need to be thankful for what I have. Okay. Okay, Donnie. Same. <laughs> so, Donnie, <laughs> But God's people, we lose that respect just for what He's done for us. Are you still with me? Okay, the next one. Now we are at where are we yes 1 Samuel 8 verse 7 no where am I yes Saul that's, that's where I want to be um, so the people say no we want a king and this is what God says and the Lord said to Samuel obey the voice of the Lord because the people were asking Samuel we want a king we want a king we want a king and God was like I want to be your king. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. So God gives him Saul. Now read what Saul did. It was not a nice time to be in. Are you seeing? I'm just pointing out a few things that happens in history. And that can happen in our lives personally. But they, you know, it's like I explained, just when a parent says pick up, pick up, and they don't pick up, the parent doesn't really lose too much trust in the child because we know he's a child. But if the, he sees that child wondering, he doesn't want to listen, and I don't know if I'm making sense, but it hurts the father. It hurts God when he sees that this kid does not trust. That Sorry, that was a complete wrong example. But... Um, when the father sees that my kid does not trust and rely on me anymore. You know? And this is what God experiences there. He says, my people, haven't you seen what I've done through you? Every time you mess up, I come through for you. Every time you go into, into Egypt, I rescue you from Egypt. I give you Jericho, you mess up, I'm always there for you, and you don't get it yet. You want to, you want to have your own king. I want to be your king. I want your heart to be with me. And I think overall God, is, I mean, this is something that God speaks to us on a daily basis, but I think for Namibia as well. You know, I was there on the farm, and I'm thinking, obviously, pray for rain, and I am praying for rain, but I'm, then I got this thought, and like, but what if it starts raining now? And I don't want to say it shouldn't rain. <laughs> it did rain. It's raining now. But that is, what do we do if that blessing comes? And I got this thought, this, I think we're just going to continue on our own ways. And that's, I think, what sometimes happens. And it's almost to me as if, and I, again, I don't want to say I'm prophesying and this is what God is saying, but it's almost as if God wants, is putting his finger on this country and he's saying, I want you to listen. I want you to figure out what's on my heart and Almost withholding, I don't want to say that, but withholding the blessings because if the blessing comes and the rain comes and the river flows, we forget again. And God doesn't want us to forget like happened here in one sermon. Why do you just want a king? Can't you just be happy with me in everything in life? Can't you put me first? Does it make sense? Okay, thank you. So the trust. And you know, God, it's, kind of expects us to break the trust. But it doesn't take away 
that his heart hurts when we don't trust him. How much do you trust God for? It was one of the words he said. Now with financial issues and stuff. There was another word for a friend of mine, almost the same, which said that all the people just prophesying or praying into his life, saying, rest in the Lord, rest in the Lord, wait, rest. But we get to a place where I can't rest and wait. can't trust now. I need to do something. And then we do it. And it's fine. Men must do things. I understand that. But just to have that reliance on God. And this scripture shows to me the heart of God. And he says, listen, man. It's not about what I can give you. It's, I want you to be my people. I want you to trust me. Amen. Okay, where am I now? Now we're going to get to 2 Chronicles. Now we're just skipping 2 Kings. We're skipping David. We're going to Solomon. And this is where we get to Scripture. And I need to turn there now. I want to read a bit more. You know, if you, if you make one turn in your Bible and it falls open at 2 Chronicles 7, then you know God. it's God doing something here. Um, there, you only have the two scriptures up there. I'll read for you from 2 Chronicles 7 verse 11. Thus Solomon finished. Okay, sorry, I have to actually start before I read that. So what Solomon does is, and God was, it's almost, it looks, I can't say God got excited, but Solomon said, it was now after David, and Solomon says, God, I want to build your temple. I want to build your house. And Solomon goes through the whole process, 2 Chronicles, the first few chapters, and he, where he consecrates it, and he says, God, you want your presence to be here. And God is like, yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it. This is what it's about. Now Solomon maybe did it his way, and he built a massive temple, and God doesn't really need a massive, but fine. But Solomon is like, he's tugging at God's heartstrings. Yes, I want to create you a sanctuary where your presence lives amongst us. And God is like, yeah, yes. You're getting it. Somebody's getting it. And now he's reading the next, now we're reading the next few scriptures. So this is now after they've dedicated the temple, everything, because remember, they didn't have the temple. He was the first guy to build a temple. They had the, the ark of the, the, the tabernacle, but they didn't have a temple. So Solomon does something. He says, yes, God, we want to be your people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. I'm reading from verse 11. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence, yes, you got it there, among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. There's that word again, consecrated. It started, I showed you right in the beginning, God says, I want you to be a holy, consecrated nation. And God is re-emphasizing this. Yes, yes, you're getting it. For now I've chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? So this, if, if you now see this whole thing with a bit of a bigger picture, it is, this has been God's plan all the beginning. From, And he's like, Yes, it's not only about, you know, for a week or a month, praying that there will be some rain and blessing. I want, I want you to be a consecrated holy nation where my presence lives with you. And that's why God says, now you've shown me that you've humbled yourself and prayed. And now I'm going to open up the heavens and it's going to rain. I believe it's the same for this country in a, in a way. I do think that. It's where God says, but it's not that, you know, I don't want you to have your 100 or 200 millimeters and then you're all happy and continue with your life again. I actually want you to, to, to contemplate on what's going on in this nation. Are we a nation, and, and you know God speaks to the church first, are we a nation in this church where we, where we pray, where we seek His face, where we want His, His presence in our midst, or we just come to Sunday's meetings and Wednesday meetings? You know, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed and blessed, absolutely blessed, I can tell you a story. We're in a small group, and there's, I'm not going to even say, say if it's a he or a she, but there's a person 
And so when I got to this small group, this person has got issues. Massive issues. And I'm, the first one is I'm, oh, I go away from the small group and I actually complain. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do, but I'm like complaining. What's the, this is going to be so difficult to sort this person out. What are we going to do? This person might just um, negatively influence the whole small group. Anyway, all very wrong and in sin. So somewhere God changes my heart and I just start praying for this lady with a, a renewed compassion. And I'm, and I'm starting to see what pain the person is... I'm gonna, somewhere I'm going to drop if it's a he or a she, and then I'm going to be sorry. But, um, and I pray, and I pray, and then we go to Sunday service one day, and the person is there, and, and I can see, almost did it again. It's worship, she's worshiping me. I can't, I can't continue with this. And she's crying, and I'm like, you know, but I'm all, at the same time, I'm happy, but also very um, convicted of how bad my heart was. God went, where am I? What did I say just now? Why am I here? Okay, because it was not about me. God just exposed my heart and he said to you, I want to reach these people. I don't care if they're in your small group and according to you, they've got lots of issues. That's why they're there. I send these people with issues. Are you willing to accept these people with issues? Or do you want perfectly groomed church people that sometimes even hide they have issues? This lady comes in there, she doesn't hide nothing. And we're all awkward. Get over it. And my point was this was, is I couldn't change it. But when I just prayed, God, get this lady. And God actually didn't, I don't even know if he listened to my prayer. He probably just showed me. Um, when he got her into his presence, she is changing. She's changing. The things in her life that we think should be dealt with, he's dealing with it, not Theo. Because if Theo would start talking, my goodness, I would condemn the life out of her and she would go nowhere. No, I'm honest. And God is dealing with her. And everything we're thinking that should happen is happening because the presence of God is in her life. We created... This is what I wanted to say. Church... Are we creating an environment where people, when they walk into that door, when we pray, it's not about how many people we get here, but Jesus, please be here. Because then people change. Please, if I speak to somebody at work, and now it's also happening to me at work. I love it. Um, but God's presence. Solomon touches that string of God's. Am I at Solomon? Yes, I'm there. And... And God gets excited because he says, you know, you focus on getting me in your meetings and the rest happens. I mean, does that, does that make sense? I think it makes sense. So, and it, it doesn't always have to be, you know, another thing I just realized, we sometimes so, and maybe it's a word for some of you, yeah, we so, oh, um, overwhelmed and, and, how are we going to get this church thing right and the small group thing right? And you know what? I'm just telling you to go and pray. Go and pray. And then relax about the rest. So we had small group again this week. It was a kind of chaos, but beautiful. <laughs> it was really a bit of chaos, but I was prepared for it. I was prepared for the chaos to come. And I was relaxed because I know I prayed for those people. And afterwards we prayed for that lady again and she was crying again and God was there. So all the chaos, the rest of the people must get over it. I'm happy. I'm okay, because Jesus was there, and Jesus touched. Now, I tell you what, it's not easy, because it, made, it required a lot of management. That's, we can't deny that. Okay, let's go on. I don't even know where I'm now. Um, we're just going a little bit further. Isaiah, okay, this is what I wanted to say. Now we're at Isaiah, 1 Kings 16, verse 13. Let's try and do, do that thing again. Hey, almost, two pages. And Ahab, this, no, I'll read from there. 1 Kings 16, verse 29. Remember the scripture I told you about Jericho? God said, don't rebuild those walls. This is a period in Israel's life where it was total disregard for the holiness, the holy things of God. And remind me if I forget, after this I need to tell you about a story of my colleague. Okay? 
but it's in the 38 years of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been in been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. This is happening in God with God's people. Some king decides his, his wife Jezebel, that's the problem, <laughs> but that he's, um, he's, he's going to worship Baal. Can you believe that? How must God feel about this? And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel, that's verse 34 there, of Bethel built Jericho. Remember what God said. Don't do it. Why? Not saying, don't like Jericho. This is, was a holy moment. Breakthrough for you. You remember it. You don't wipe all of that under the carpet. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son. Exactly what God said. But anyway, this is a period of, in, in the history of Israel where they just went completely haywire and disrespected the holy things of God. What I need to tell you, so the, the Monday after I went to the farm and I shared it with my colleague who was also a Christian, and I said, told him, yes, I don't know, it's as if, God is trying to tell us something with this drought. And he says, you know what? On the farm, they had a gathering of, I don't know, all the farmers. And there was a, a pastor preaching. And he said exactly the same thing. And, and this nation, I'm trying to remember what he said. This nation needs to turn to God. And the, he, the one specific thing he mentioned is God is unhappy with the sexual immorality in this nation. And I'm like, okay. But now, I hope that's not with the believers. But there's obviously... To me, it's just as of this nation and the people, we, we've, we pretend, I mean, we pretend that we know Christ. Google says we're 90% Christians. Google knows nothing, in that respect at least. But we pretend, oh yeah, and I've seen it, and sometimes I go to meetings um, you know, at these municipal council meetings and all those things, and it's people open in prayer and, and all those things. I'm like quite amazed, but I think there's a Dishonesty, I don't know if that's the right word. But this, we have a form of godliness, but there's a big problem. Are you with me? And it was, it was just great that my friend said that the guy preached about the same things. But there's some things that are abominable to God that's happening in this nation. And, and maybe not so much with the church, I'm not sure, I don't want to make that call. But we as Christians need to pray and yeah, you see, if you see the bigger picture, we're going to start praying differently. We're going to say, God, this, these abominations, show us what it is. We need to intercede that these things don't grow. They actually need to die in our nation. And I think there are some things that are going on in our nation that God is just like, I hate this. I hate this. This is abominable, like the scriptures say. Amen. And, and I don't, I'm not saying it's the church. I'm just saying we can pray, God. Remove these things from our midst. Yeah, and just the next scripture. This is after this, these abominable things happen. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And you can go and read 1 Kings. After that, how Elijah dealt with this king and when God sent the rain. I'm not going to go into that. But I think we are starting to see some things in our nation that the people of God needs to pray for. You and I. There's also scripture says that God saves by many or by few. God doesn't need three million people to pray for one million, no, two million Namibians. He can use just you. So in your own personal life, I want you to start praying like this. Think about what I just said today. We can, and if we come together in unity and pray for things like this, God wants His people, like He said, to humble themselves and pray. We don't have to feel that we are doing all the sexual immorality. We just have to identify with it and, and pray and, and repent 
of it almost as if we did it. But we, we, we stop with this attitude that we're the church and we're separate. And we, you know, that's what Moses did. He stood in the gap for his people and said, God, this is our nation. We, it, can't, it cannot continue like this. And we name those things and we pray and we say, God, forgive us. Break these curses of our nation. Are you with me? Okay. Where am I now? Still Isaiah. What am I going to say now? Okay. So now, and this is the second thing. I don't know if it fits in. And I want to end with this. But we at, in Swakopmund watch these DVDs of Suzette Hutton. Did some of you watch them? In the last, I think it was the last one, when Heinrich um, closed off. Did you, have you seen that one? It's about, it's, it's beautiful. And he talks about this scripture. Um, Isaiah 56. And before we read the Isaiah 56 verse 1, if you, re- if you look at Isaiah a few chapters before that, 52. Now remember, Isaiah was a prophet. So if you again look at the, the prophets, the prophet, he lived in a certain time frame there. But a lot of the things that he said would be prophecy that would be um, relevant on that time, but it would also be relevant in future. That's how prof- prophetic things work. So a lot of these things it was obviously applied to Israel at that stage, but it also applies to us at this stage. And Isaiah 52, 53, 54, it speaks about the Lord's coming salvation. It says God is going to send salvation. God is going to make peace. God has got compassion. And I want to read Isaiah 56. I hope I'm still making sense here. Because I showed you a lot of things today. From the beginning, I just want to get you. God says, let me recap. We are consecrated, peculiar. We set aside. God wants us to conquer like Joshua, but then he wants us to remember that he comes through for us. When we get to Saul, God does not want us to put our trust in other things, other gods. He wants us to rely on him completely. Solomon, God wants us to regard his presence as key to everything. Solomon said, yes, I want your presence. And now we get to the promises. Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come. Now if you, Heinrich does it a lot better than me. But this scripture, I think is very relevant to us as believers. It says, what should we do now, Theo? Great sermon. We're all very scared now. (laughs) I don't know what we are. What should we do now? We keep justice and do righteousness. The fact of the matter is, you're going to walk out of here, you're going to go to your job tomorrow. You're going to work somewhere. What do we do there? Keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come. I believe specifically for Namibia, if we as people pray, seek God's face, if we keep justice and just do righteousness, we can't all quit our jobs tomorrow and pray for 24 hours. But God is promising, as in Scripture, it's not me, He says, my salvation will come. My salvation, I want this nation to be saved. My salvation will come. What do I do? You just keep justice and keep justice and do righteousness. And my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now verse 3. What happens to us when we see the bigger picture and we slot in with God's plan and we say, God, we're your people. We're your sacred people. What happens to us? God gives us compassion for other people. And this, I think, is beautiful, and it ties in with my example of this lady in our small group. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. It's a derapture. <laughs> it's okay. But this scripture in context is 
Um, some, when, when the Israelites, I, I, I'm not sure now if they were taken captive or if they were just conquered. I'm not too sure about that. But when they were either conquered or taken captive, some of the foreigners joined them. So they were serving their gods and their whatever. And, but then when they saw the Israelites, they said, we and you have something that we want. And then they joined them. We want to follow your gods. And our God calls his people back. And then he says, let not the foreigners join himself to the Lord, say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. So there were some foreigners that were feeling uncomfortable. Are we moving back and we stay? Can we come? You're going, but we actually want to be part of you. And, and what Heinrich was saying is that, that God has obviously picked up something here and he said, but listen here, some of them are already feeling uncomfortable. Why are you making them feel like that? They're ours. They're mine. Now, irrespective of that, they had to go back or whatever. God says, they mine. Leave them. And you make them feel welcome. So God's heart here is, and it's almost like my example with a small group, is that if some people come into our midst and they look differently, they don't speak the Christian language, they've got mountains of mistakes and issues still sin in their lives, but God has sent them here, who are you to say that they shouldn't be here with your attitude? We don't say it with our words. We say it with an attitude. We, we do something. I don't know what we do. But God is saying, don't let those people feel like foreigners. They're not. My heart is that they must be drawn in. So I can tell you that... So the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is for Namibia, if I have to explain, is... God wants his people to consecrate and humble themselves. But then God wants us to have compassion for, for the people out there that are so different. And we don't understand their political you know, inclination or anything. And, and, and he's saying, but you need to get over that. Because I want them in, in my fold. I want to be their shepherd. And there's, there's the last scripture and then we finish for... Uh, And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm dry, a dry tree. You know, there's sometimes, um, and Heinrich was saying, the eunuch is now referred to, um, don't look it up, but, <laughs> but they, sometimes we marginalize people in our churches. We marginalize older people. We marginalize younger people. Luckily, I don't think we're not so bad on the younger people. But we marginalize people. We marginalize people that are not as wealthy as we are, and, and yeah, to a degree, sometimes the old people, they don't pray like we pray, they don't prophesy like we, they don't speak in tongues like we speak in tongues, and we subtly marginalize them, and God says, I don't like that, man. The widow, etc. Maybe she's gone through a terrible time in her life, she's, she's divorced, etc. What now? She's yours. Look after her. I remember, yeah, no, let me get it. But one of our most precious baptisms, what I'll never forget, is, is uh, when, when we took over the church in Swakopmund, it's an old lady, Almut, she's probably now 75 or something. And if we walked in there, and I remember their small group, the leader, Jimmy, I wish he listens to this seminar, he'll laugh, because he told us, he said, because when we took over and we started to preach about baptism and all that, he said, my small group's not going to get baptized. His whole small group got baptized. Jimmy and that, and Almut and everybody. Now, if we walked in there and we're like, oh, these older people don't want to wake up. They don't want to get with the program. They would have left and not get by, got baptized. Now they're serving God. They're the most faithful people you'll ever see. We can't marginalize people. We need to ask God to bring in these weird people. Amen? Are you with me? Okay, sorry that I'm taking so long. I think I'm finished. Yes, I can close off. God says, if my people humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land. Let's stand. And I think we just pray. And what I said here somewhere in the middle of the sermon is, there's no more plans. Jesus is the last plan and you are the vehicle. You and I are the ones that need to 
execute his plan. There's no more plans. But luckily, Scripture says that we conquer. So I want us to just, let's, let's do this. Maybe we do this. We close off in prayer, but then we sit in smaller groups and we just pray for our nation, Namibia. <clears throat> we pray that we will see the bigger picture. We pray that God will humble us, that God will humble the church and that God will deliver us. You know, I don't want to say, I, I want rain, but I, I think I just, I don't want rain and then forget about God. So I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I just don't want us to forget about God. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that there's a res- responsibility and a mandate on us. Father, and we pray for this nation. Father, and you say in your word, you can save by many or by few. And Father, we hear your word. We see the bigger picture. We see how you have so much patience and compassion with us, Father. And we pray for this nation. We pray for the people, the churches, the, the believers, Lord God, that we will humble ourselves and pray, Lord God, that we will put you first, that we'll understand that we're a consecrated people that's been set apart for your good works. Father, forgive us where we do not do this. Father, forgive us where we, we're kind of comfortable in the blessings that this nation has, Lord God, and you want to just put your finger on it. Father, we know that your heart is to bless us, but this morning we don't want to focus on that. We want to pray that you will just cleanse your church, Lord God. Cleanse your church. Father, help us to pray just in our own lives, personally, in the closet, where we pray, where we, we cry out to you, Lord God, and we'll cry out that you will change our hearts and, and soften our hearts and then soften the people's hearts around us, but that we will be a nation that worship you, Lord God, that, that rely on you completely. Father, we pray in the government circles, etc. that is just supposed to be an overflow of what happens in our lives. So we just pray that you will, you will manifest in our lives, Lord God, manifest in our lives. Father, help us to humble ourselves. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to close up, but I would like you to just in groups of two or three, let's just pray about this thing. Pray for our nation and, and just yeah, seal it in prayer. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.